Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. You know, I was looking around, I I think... uh, I've been trying to decide on what bag I want to go with, and I think I could make the. Uh, you guys don't. Don't the, share my pens now. There's only it, a couple in here. The Aberla stock, Everly stock bandit. Bandit over yeah. the. That's the newer one, right? Because they have the X2 that they stopped making. The bandit is a small bag. Okay, I know what you're talking about. The one with the um, laser mm-hmm. motor clipping on yep. the front. Uh, but until then, I think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to run my Alice frame ruck. Yeah. Uh, I would say whatever backpack, get a frame of some yeah. sort. It doesn't have to be like a big old frame, but like the... So why am I going to use Kiyu? And that would be guess a small white internal frame. Right. The backpack Wyatt has, I think it's Venture 1800. They don't sell it anymore. It, right. Hands down, best backpack you can get. Hmm. He had some guy on Facebook offer him $800 for it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I've heard a lot of great things about Kifaru. Yep. And uh, but Kifaru bags, holy cow! Yeah. Uh, they are eight hundred dollars. Just period. Yeah. There's Kifaru. There's going to be less talked about because of how expensive it is. And then Eberlock, uh, Kiyu. Um, what's the, what's the name? Uh, Mystery Ranch. Yep. And then, like, Badlands. Those are going to be, I think, the kind of most common packs for saddle hunting. Does Badlands warrant, warranty their bags like they do their uh, camouflage? I could not tell you. To be honest, I got a big old, like, you know Badlands that, You know that pack. Badlands has a, like, limit, unlimited lifetime warranty on every, on their all their camouflage clothing? Mm-mm. They put a hole in it, send it back, they'll send you a new one. I'm really? Yeah. Mm. I'm the guy you see get out it's of like, the truck. And you it's go, like I just became a Badlands customer because yeah. I don't have a home, I don't have camo without a hole in it. Yeah, bad, <laughs> bad, I put hole in hose bid pants, man. I mean. Badlands is like, uh, I think part of the warranty says like we don't even care if you're stupid or something like that. Like <laughs> it's like a Vortex warranty, like the Vortex Optics. It's that same no questions asked. But I don't know if that transfers over to their bags or if it just sticks to their camouflage. Pretty sure it's on all their gear. Is that dude? For the, there was a guy on YouTube for a while years back, who was doing like 
publicizing all kinds of stupid shit he was doing vortex scopes to see if they'd honor it. He'd blown them up with dynamite and run them over with like uh, steamrollers and shit like that. And they kept honoring. He, kept, he must have gone through a couple dozen scopes and he kept videoing it. And so they must have known he was doing it. Then again, Vortex may have been paying him to do it. My buddy Tyke out in California found a pair of, uh, what are they, 12 by 50 Vipers, like the nice expensive Vortex binoculars Yeah, on the side of the road. It had been run over. Half of it was broken. And he called them and he was like, hey, I found these binoculars on the side of the road. I wanted to know if you can tell me who they belong to via the serial number so that I can return them back to that person. They're like, we don't track any serial numbers for warranty purposes. We just replace it. He's like, so you can't tell us, you can't tell me who it belonged to to get back to him. They're like, nope. He says, they said, uh, you want a new pair of binoculars? Just send us those. He said, So yeah. he mailed them in, got a new pair. <laughs> Done. Got a new pair of Vipers for picking them up on the side of the road. So it wasn't even, he didn't even buy the binoculars. He found them on the side of the road and they still honored their warranty. That's, stick it to it, man. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. At that point, it's not even really warranty. It's just. Yeah, here, you want a free a, pair? Yeah, yeah, they're taking a bad product and giving you a new one. Not going to lie, it's crossed my mind to look at my binoculars, the Vortex binoculars I have now that I've had for probably six or seven years, and they are beat all the hell. I'm like, all I got to do is run them over and send them back. That's all <laughs> I got to do. All you got to do is send them back. Yeah. yeah. But get a new pair. Well, they sell for a lot. I just got a Vortex rangefinder. Yeah. And I was going like, in between on like a, the four $500 one, and then I was like, I don't need half of the like uh, perks or whatever you call them that these rangefinders offer. I'm like, I just need to know how far I am. That's really it. Cause I don't, I don't gun hunt. I just basically strictly bow hunt. Well, you need angle compensation. You definitely need that if you're using it for bow hunting. <sighs> maybe it has it. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> Most rangefinders nowadays uh, that you're going to pick up, even the super cheap ones from Walmart have that ankle angle compensation built into it. Cause you can, you're, even though it ranges 45 yards straight line distance because of the angle, you have to aim differently. Like it'll, if you had, used to be, if you had one, it would show you like true range and then what you're aiming for. Yeah. Some of them do that. It makes a difference. I genuinely applaud the hardcore bow hunter thing. I mean, right now I'm a hardcore bow hunter. It's the only way I hunt for two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right out of the uh, office window at the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did see that uh, FWC is proposing a rule change to allow air bows for disabled crossbow hunters. I thought we had a, in Florida, I thought we had a crossbow season. It Same as bow season. Okay. It is and it isn't on Dependent. public land. Mm. It's different. It changes. Because uh, if you're not in crossbow season or on a crossbow hunt in a wildlife management area, you can't hunt with a crossbow. On private land, you can hunt with a crossbow. From my understanding, you can hunt with a crossbow from the day that archery opens. Yeah, I think so. But on public land, it's different. <clears throat> oh. But yes, you're right, Briar. There is a crossbow season that opens up like the week or a week or two weeks, a week ahead of muzzleloader or something like that. Okay. Um, but there, if you had the uh, disability permit, from your doctor saying you're not physically capable of drawing back a bow, you can uh, get the crossbow permit and hunt with it on public land in the beginning. Yeah. And now you would be, if the rule change gets approved, would be allowed to hunt with an air bow, which that's not even remotely close to a bow anymore. 
I mean, is that even archery at that point? I mean, no. crossbow is somewhat archery. <laughs> That's the one that basically is like a tube compressed air, and then you slide the arrow like over yep. top, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's not that many disabled guys. And let's face it, all this, when you really get right down to it, it's not about making it harder for the sake of the purity. It's how do we extend hunting season and keep the total mortality for the species where they want it. They want so many deer gone a year, they don't want to exceed it, and they don't want to be too far under it. So they can either give you longer seasons and lots of archery, or they can give you shorter seasons, and they know that realistically if the number of guys that are out there... Because let's face it, whether you got a bow, a shotgun, a rifle, if you're not where the deer are, you're out, you're out to the bazooka. You ain't going to kill any deer, right? It's, right. So it all comes down to... I, I don't harm... I don't understand the whole thing. Like, oh, that guy's cheating. He's using a crossbow. So? Yeah. Right? I don't hunt that much during archery season. Um, But I I want to take a certain number of deer because I need a certain amount of payload for the freezer. Um, But I don't know. I, they all hunt for different reasons. I just don't understand why I put somebody down hunting one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all if, if I'm walking out in archery season and you have a crossbow. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't really they can care. stop and be like, you need to not hunt with that thing. Yeah. I'm actually really glad when I'm hunting rifle season and I see you walking out with archery. I'm like, mm. yeah. <laughs> that guy must Handicap be with a deer. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to get the angle right. So I right. only got to gotta be with, I got to be within 200 yards line of sight of wherever he's at. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sit right behind him. <laughs> yeah. I would say, like, down here, archery, I just went out for the first time to a WMA like around here we usually hunt north florida and there was a four or five other trucks out there um for archery season and if you go up to north florida it's virtually you're not really going to see anybody else during archery season it's not nearly as big of a thing or it's just a much bigger piece of property like uh or WMA they don't so run dogs yeah so they run dogs heavy during gun season so that's where we move over to like the still hunt area mm mm-hmm. mhm and um, it's a lot. Like the deer, are completely different over there. It's like they don't they don't even think that there's somebody out there trying to hunt for them. But you go across the river, and yeah, I think the further south you go, the less advantage a firearm has during deer season, right? Just mean, think it gets a little thicker. Or? Exactly. It's because if you can't see more than thirty yards anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, that's what I that's what I say. I always say like uh, I could go and hunt with a rifle, but the places I'm hunting, I have no more of an advantage with a rifle than I do with a bow. Right. Like it's pretty pretty thick stuff most of the time. Never not like not like down here though. I I've walked through the thickest stuff I've ever walked through <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and we went, we made it maybe 75 yards in 20 minutes of like just trying to get through it and turned around, went back to the truck. Got better at the truck, poured water over my head, drank about a whole bottle, put the pack back on, and went the other way. <laughs> and that was, oh, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. You know it's bad when you're willing to waste 20 minutes worth of time in the woods and to turn around and just say, you know what, screw it, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah, I got, I got chiggers, had ticks all over me. I mean, it, it was it was bad. And wait a minute, Vines, it would give So me there that. is a permanent <laughs> bottle of permethrin that lives in my truck. Oh, that's a... That's a yeah. Hot tip: If you're not hitting it with permethrin, coating your clothes in permethrin, and letting it soak, when you first do it, it stinks. 
Yeah. Let it dry, run it through the washing machine one time, doesn't smell anymore. Well, it still keeps the, the ticks and chiggers off you. I listened to you guys' podcast three days before going out to uh, going out to the hunt, and I went and got a thermosel. John did not listen, and he didn't even he didn't even have to climb the tree. The mosquitoes just lifted him right up. He got destroyed, but that was the best that was the best purchase I've ever made hunting wise. Oh, but the hack, the real hack, is to take the pads when they're done, and then take if if you're buying like I did, and I bought a bottle of ten percent. It's like a permethrin concentrate that you would use to make, well, it's for spraying cattle, livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would dilute it down in like a five-gallon sprayer or a 10-gallon backpack sprayer. I'm diluting it down into an eight-ounce or 12-ounce bottle. So I'm using a very, very minute amount into a whole bottle of that. And then I'm taking and spraying my old thermosail pads with that stuff and letting it soak into that. Works ten times better than the crap that's in the thermosel pad. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It's probably going to give me cancer, but yeah, yeah <laughs> I think the regular thermosel is going to get like. There's a couple times because my I had it on my bow hanger. Yeah, and my bow hanger's right underneath my chin, and I was kind of like leaning forward, leaning on my bridge, or just kind of like right over top, and I would take a breath in and just see the the smoke or whatever you call it's it coming like out of the thermosel, and it was yeah. just like, was a, that, oh man, was that you with the purple haze? Purple. Purple haze. Yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah. I had it. I was at a. I was at a uh, an enclosed blind and had it going, and I didn't have all the sides down. And, and then all of a sudden, I realized I was looking out, and I'm like, thinking something was wrong with the sun. I'm like, but it was early. I'm like everything's purple. I went, oh. Then I realized like there was a buzzing in my ears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, we had we had two or three of them running in the duck boat during early season. Two of them, all covered up. We were pretty heavy, blinded in with with palmetto fronds and stuff. I didn't even get high. And, and, but un, if we were in the fronds, we were okay. Like the thermosel did the job. Man, if you stood up though, nah, and bugs were on, it's like white on rice. So thermosel, ain't, it just, I'll never be convinced that they didn't change their formula. They did. Yeah. No, you know, you know what works. What I use in the duck blind, I just use 100% deep. I got like a little plastic bottle, which hey. I'm surprised doesn't melt the bottle. I got yeah. it. But the, you know it. it's the good stuff when you spray yourself down with it and you're like, all right, mosquitoes go away. And you're like, I'm going to get a pinch of tobacco. You put it in your mouth and you're like, you're numb. why is my you're lip numb? numb? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful. See, what you do is, is you get your dip first and then you spray down. Doesn't matter. That has lasting effects. You'll do it two hours later and your lip will still go numb. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Briar was like, you handed me the deep. He's like, hey, hey. He me put it. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Be careful with that stuff. <laughs> 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 I take my hat off and spray my hat and put it back on my head. That covers my whole face. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> when you're using 100% deep, they stay back. So obviously, like when you're out in the woods or you're out in the swamp, like the mosquitoes are just bad regardless. But do you guys find that like, I swear there's certain blood types or certain people that the mosquitoes like more. Yeah. Like if we're at the like my house just hanging out, my brother and I are there, I won't get touched by mosquito and he'll get destroyed. And, like, for the most part, I've never had, like, a bad, like, problem with mosquitoes. Like, the thermocell, no um, extra addition of any chemical or whatever. Like, I didn't get touched by a mosquito the whole whole time. I think some of it might be how often you shower. Yeah, that well, might be. I'm always saying that because if I could be standing out, thinking of our lease in Georgia, I could be standing out in our lease in Georgia, chatting with guys, yeah, the occasional mosquito, no problem. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to go shower. Shower off. I'll come walking out, and before I can get from the shower to my trailer, I'm just getting crushed. Yeah. So, and I've noticed that there's times where I'm outside where 
early on, I'm getting bit by a bunch of mosquitoes and then I get a certain sheen on and then I'm persona non grata. So I don't know if it's my diet, my sweat, just my general sense of funk. But eventually, I can get a certain layer where even mosquitoes don't want to touch me. Maybe that just says I'm a disgusting person. But <laughs> hey, Jordan, Google so it. Be. I'm I'm pretty sure there is a blood type that there there is a blood type that you either prefer, or don't prefer. I think I've heard that before. I'm, I'm, and like it's it's a a proven fact. Um, but before we get any further, wait, me, wait before we get there, what blood type are you? O positive, typo. I have what, no idea. Really? Got yeah. good blood. What do you? I know. A negative. I'm a positive. You're 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 both O. No, I have no idea what I am. Are you the universal donor or universal receiver? Uh, I believe it's a universal donor. Wow. I have to have O-type blood, but I can give Mosquitoes prefer people. type O blood over other blood types, including A and B and AB. And other, in one study, mosquitoes landed on people with type O blood nearly twice as often as people with type A. Sucks oh. to be you. You know what's funny, though, <laughs> is Amanda is type A, and they will tear her up, but they don't bother me near as bad. And I'm, Well, I think that also has to do with the, hair. Like, the thick leg hair. Yeah, the because funk. if I'm standing here in flip-flops, they will destroy my like, ankles where there's no <laughs> hair, but they won't touch the rest of my leg. Yeah. I've, I've got I've had uh, mosquitoes like stuck in my leg hard. hair. Yeah. Like they can't get in, but they also can't get out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, ah, sucker. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We got in them so bad during uh, right after the hurricane that went through Georgia. I was up there with my buddy Roman. We were trying to track down some. Um, we were just trying to track down some doves or squirrels, and we got into a place where it was just low, and the water was was laying. And I looked at him, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's just!" I couldn't believe the number of mosquitoes around him. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me, like, "Oh my god, they're on me!" I reached down and slapped the back of my leg, and when I pulled my hand away, it wasn't like spots of blood. It looked like. And if you've ever cut yourself real bad and you're like, you put your hand out to stop the bleeding, pulled the hand, it looked like that. It was, there was blood <laughs> running. I was losing pints. I finally said, this ain't worth it, man. We're going back. <laughs> you remember that time we went to Rock Springs? I was thinking of that, yeah, after the hurricane. We, came like, we like ran out of there. <laughs> the mosquitoes literally ran Literally, literally hundreds of mosquitoes. I've never actually physically ran from mosquitoes other than that one time. Yeah, Dude, that was I'm us. telling you, that WMA that I hunted last weekend... The mosquitoes out there, I mean, in outside of the woods, you get on the road, they're not bad. You take like 10 yards into the woods, they will literally, I mean, carry you. Every mosquito that lands on you is so full of blood that it like kind of has to like get a running start to get off your arm to fly. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I would be a little kid letting the mosquito suck on you so long that it would actually start dripping out the back of the mosquito. I never do that. did that. Yeah, I never no. did that either. Because they, they would like they would overeat, and then we'd also play games like if you could if the mosquito had been on there a while, you could take your arm and you could squeeze, and then the mosquito would be trapped. It couldn't get out. It's sit there trying to fly, and it's got a, <laughs> but a proboscis is stuck in your arm. You know, I'm also convinced pretty that, bored as kids that yeah. uh, mosquitoes and rain only get worse if you talk about them. Yeah, like when we got down from our last hunt, yeah. John was my phone died, so like it, it was a it was a mess. It was just the whole hunt was a mess. But I was maybe a hundred and fifty yards away from John. I was like, "You gotta come find me," and I can click my tongue really, really loud, like doing like, but yeah, but it really loud. So after we got like it was getting real dark, and I was like, "All right, I'm we're not seeing anything." We made a whole noise getting in there leaned against a tree to take a break walking in whole tree fell over yeah i mean it was you couldn't get a worse hunt it was so we at that point it was honestly more of like just a practice run we weren't killing any deer 
So he comes over to me and he, he didn't have a thermocell or anything. And he's freaking out. He's like, dude, I got to go. Like they're all over me. And I'm like, dude, relax. Here's my thermocell. Like turn it on. I don't have a phone and I don't know how to get out of here. So I'm like, you're staying right here while I pack my stuff up and then we're going to head out. But yeah, <laughs> it, it gets to your, oh, like, yeah. to your head. If you're getting destroyed by him for a long time, I remember start freaking <clears throat> out. We were out fishing one night and, uh, it's, I mean, the mosquitoes weren't biting. It's right at dusk. And uh, I don't know if it was you or if it was Ian. Um, somebody says, man, you know, the mosquitoes really aren't that bad tonight. And it was like an announcer picking up the microphone at the Daytona 500. Gentlemen, start your <laughs> engines. You just hear. Yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hear the battle cry of the Valkyrie coming over yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That, that might be the worst. Like, it might be worse, the buzzing when you're sitting there in a stand or in the saddle and you just, like, sit and you hear the buzzing around your ears. That drives Dude, me I haven't crazy. experienced it, but I hear guys in Alaska talk about the biting flies. Ooh. That it just get they, they get like that and they're all covered up. And, and I guess from what I understand, eventually you just become resigned to it. You mm-hmm. know, but they're breathing them in. They're mm. chewing on them. <laughs> like, Dude, you know what's almost worse than the mosquitoes? It's the dang yellow flies. Let me introduce everybody around the table real quick before we get too far into this. So I'm your host, Will Krebs. I got Brian here with me tonight. Hey, y'all. I got Jim. Yes, sir. We got Jordan. I'm here. Let's get it. And we got Mr. Van from Hang Free. Hello. So I guess we're going to talk a little uh, e-scouting, some public land e-scouting and mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of e-scouting. What were you saying about yellow flies? They're bad, man. I hate them. Like, because you don't always feel them land on you. And the next thing you know, you feel them bite you. Or they're like buzzing your head. And when they buzz your head, it's not like a mosquito where you just hear the ee, it's just like meow, past your head. And then he, he's gone for a minute. And he meow, past your head the other way. And you're like, son of a gun. Dude, and they, they don't just like get on you and try to suck a little blood. They come in and they take a piece of flesh with them when they leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they also. They seem to focus on a part of your body. Like once they decide that they like your instep, until you kill that sucker, he's just focused mm-hmm. on targeting that instep. I hate him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I would say worse than like your normal average like woods mosquitoes. That's what I call them. Like the mosquitoes in the woods is when you go to like inshore fish at like nighttime, early morning, and it's no seams. Like for yeah. me at least, Uh-oh. when you're inshore fishing, I mainly yep. they're mainly over there, and there you can't see them. And they, they, it's like a little sting almost. It's the bite itself is worse than I, I know exactly what you're mosquitoes. talking about. Uh, yeah. dude, and when you, or if you have, like you mentioned gross. fishing, like if all of a sudden you nick yourself with your fillet knife or a fish hook or something, and they, they target that area. Mm-hmm. Like they're just in there feeding on you. It, it just creeps me out, man. You can't keep them off. Yeah. So nasty. Well, that and, uh, they don't bite, but gnats in the summertime in Maybe South Georgia. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I'd just as soon fill Dog my pants. Gnats. Yeah, fill my pants full of crap and walk around just to keep the damn things out of my face. You'd rather crap in your hands and clap than... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hoping it... Ca- as long as it doesn't get on my face, keeps them out of my face for a minute. And you know what's funny is it doesn't matter how fast you go on a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or whatever else to get them out of your face as soon as you stop. <laughs> right back <laughs> Getting your eyeball and your ear you, up your nose. I always wonder, what do those things feed on when I'm not standing here? 
Dog pecker. That's why they're called dog pecker gnats. <laughs> He's not talking about the. Well, the those dog pecker. The dog pecker gnats don't bite. They just annoy the crap yeah. out of you. But they're omnipotent. I mean, they're everywhere. Like you said, yeah. you get in a four wheeler, drive half a mile. They're they're there too. <laughs> As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammes, multi-state law practice, focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or... 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamis.com that's r-o-m-a-n at r-o-m-a-n v-h-a-m-m-e-s dot com offices Florida and South Carolina <laughs> you have a there's always a, a a fan on the porch it's got to be on oscillate in the summertime in georgia not because or in the south not because you need the breeze but for the split second that breeze is on you it blows the gnats away yeah. <laughs> <They're in laughs> yeah. as soon as it goes off you it's gone they're right back on you again yeah oh man it's how my dad used to always say it's how you could tell somebody was from south georgia and who wasn't because they could the gnats away from their face without waving their hand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But man, I hate gnats. All the bugs in the woods. This, I mean, I don't. Yeah, no, I hate all the bugs in the woods. All right, well, yeah. on the subject of bugs, Tick, ticks we, are the worst. We call it in our camp. We call it Mothra. I knew you're this was going to come up. <laughs> you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you, you barely ever get a glimpse of it, and you might even make contact with it. And it's got some substance, but it's like it comes out of another dimension, and it just and it comes in, and you're like. Like the first time I ever experienced it, like, oh my God, whatever you are, please don't bite me because you're going like, to take a, you're going to be missing a finger, right? And it never bites and it never even lands on you. But it comes in at that zero point blank range. Like, I don't know. I still don't know what this thing is. It's called a hummingbird moth. Pull it up, Jordan. Whatever, man. I've swatted them and you're like, that has some heft. Yeah, they're pretty hefty. But I've never knocked one down. They're just, we call them Mothra. They're mystical. There it is right there. Look at this nasty thing. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what... Oh, man. It's literally this moth. I mean, it looks like... Uh, you, you look at... You think like the caterpillar form of something, and like big, fat caterpillar, and then it turns into an elegant butterfly. I know that caterpillar went from green to brown and sprouted wings. Yeah. It's a huge <laughs> it's definitely what it body is, yeah. with a, a moth with a huge body. 
I'm just glad they don't bite. It look, <laughs> that thing kind of looks like a big crawfish with wings. Yeah, it does kind of look like And they're, they're tough, man. I mean, I, I mean, like you said, I've hit those things hard. Nope. And I don't know where they go because I don't hear them anymore, but they never, they never hit the dirt. So <laughs> they can take a punch. They get it with a baseball bat, more than likely. I just don't like them. No, because you're right. They don't. They don't. You like if you watch a hummingbird. If a hummingbird wants to investigate what you are, it'll come out, stop at a distance, look at you, like hover at a distance, and it may move a little closer. Now that moth gets right up in your business, quick, fast, in a hurry. And it's never. It's always when you're like trying to be the most stealthy. Like it never catches you, like just hanging out, you know, looking around. No, you think you heard a deer, and you're watching to your left. All of a sudden, that sucker goes. You're right in your face, and you jump, swing your arm around, and deer runs off. I know they got pictures of them because I'm looking at them, but I'm still not entirely convinced that they're not actually in multiple dimensions at the same time. Because <laughs> you can't, you, I don't think anybody's ever really seen one with their naked eye. <laughs> like maybe on high speed photography, but yeah, you know, you knew exactly what I was talking about. I yeah. brought it up and the Mothra. <laughs> yeah, I hate that thing. Used to scare the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah. I've only had it, that thing fly up like to me maybe twice, but it's terrifying. Like it just come, like you were saying, it just comes in super fast and either leaves or just kind of messes with you a little bit and doesn't really do anything though. Our woods are full of them. So, with all the bugs that are in the woods, right before you ever get in the woods, a lot of people are using. I mean, I guess you could use Google Earth if you wanted. We use Onyx, so. I mean, I look, I know, like, you know, I have my topo on here. So I know, obviously, this is a topo line. Did you, I mean, what are, you, what, are, what are we looking for when we're looking to e-scout? Or what are some things you look for? So before we get into that, do you know how to read a topographical map? How to tell uphill from downhill? Well, I don't know that this has any of the... I'm, uh, ask, it's, I'm asking you a question. No. So, if you're looking at a topographical map with a lot of terrain feature on it, there you go, right yeah. there. See that 60 foot? Yeah. It lists in descending order. So, if you zoom out, see that circle in the middle? That circle's at 70 foot. The next circle out, uh, your your lines are in 10 foot increments. Okay. Drop in elevation. Yeah. So, well, that generally, your, says it's at 60. Generally, your hilltops are marked with a number. So the lines around them are uh, descending in elevation, going downhill. The closer together they are, the steeper the terrain is. So if you were looking at a cliff on a topographical map, it would look like a thick line. You would watch larger, like farther out, spread out lines converge into one thick line, and that would indicate that there's a a drop right there. So if I'm looking at this properly, then I should assume that these smaller dots inside of it would be high points. Or low points. Or low points. Yeah, because there's not a lot of terrain there. Based on looking at that, probably low points. Yeah, they're probably low points. It looks swampy. You'd have to go out there and look at it because it could go either way. Yeah. But I'm going to guess because there's trees there, they're actually probably high points. Yeah, because there's a good dark tree. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably swamp, like where the trees mm-hmm. aren't. Those are those are uh, smaller islands within that swamp. Yeah, that's one thing I wish again like Onyx or Huntwise, or I'm not sure about Huntwise. I, I use Onyx as well, but I wish you could see 
it would give you a better idea of how thick an area is because you're mainly going to see the canopy in my experience. Uh, Just for listener clarification, when we're talking about mapping software, we're all talking about Onyx. Onyx is pulled up on the TV screen here in the studio. So if you're using something else, I apologize, but we don't use that. Which I know there's other features (laughs) on amongst different um, apps, but... That's just the one I've paid for, so that's what I'm using. I usually yeah. start with Google Maps because I think that their aerial feature is clearer. So when you're looking for that, when you're looking for that yard that backs right up to the WMA, sometimes you can see the corn feeder in it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not kidding, right? Or you know, if the guy's got a deer stand in his backyard, you know, there's a good chance there's a feeder not far away. So right. you know, little thing. I mean, it, you laugh, but it's like, hey, I'm on public land, but I'm going to try to figure out where where those deer are traveling to and from that guy's yard. Right. Um, and I'll try to find, because like you said, it's really hard to tell canopy, but it's usually not too hard to tell if there is a fallow field. Yeah, Cause you usually see some kind of straight lines on there. You and I hunted one that one year. Um, but then after I get that, then I usually go to Onyx for all the other you know, good stuff, all the other goodies on there. But I, I that's actually, I'm back and forth. That, that's smart. I think uh, definitely we use it more for trying to figure out the like Google Earth for figuring out like a thick area or if it's a thick area or not. I've always used it after using Onyx. So I kind of dial in one little spot. Mm. And then if I'm trying to figure out something in particular, I'll switch over to Google Earth. But I've never looked at it as like a like a wider area perspective, I guess. It's more like uh, that's where I'll use Onyx. But... Yeah, especially around here. I'm I'm good at reading them up north, but yeah, I picked a bad spot last time down here. That I had to explain that to somebody. Like you were talking about Google Earth the other day, that I use Google Earth as well because Onyx is great. But then, like you said, when you zoom in on Onyx, it's I mean, eh, it's iffy. But like Google Earth, I could zoom into these trees and like see the dirt in the two roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is extremely clear. Yeah, because that's what that's what it looked like, and that's what uh, kind of appears to be planted pines almost. Yeah. So that's what it looked like that I was going to be walking into, and it was nothing I think like I that. Actually, have that pin on here. Or it was planted pines, except between the rows there was six foot of oh just I, underbrush. I couldn't. Yeah, it was basically just like even then the pines weren't big enough to climb. So, like, oh, yeah, I mean, it was like basically you thing. drove in on that main kind of your main road and it go. was like a bush wall both sides. And Man. I was like, if I can just get through that bush wall, it's going to get better as I get in there. Nope. It never got better. So <laughs> at all. there's Van's area right there. Would you drive to the purple pin? A little bit farther up even actually. I, well, we ended up we were going to park at that purple pin and then drove past that road that cuts off to the right. And then there's nowhere else to turn around. So I. Basically ended up about right there. And then we walked in left. And that's simply, you can't walk in there. You mean to tell me that's thick? I, I promise uh, you it's a thick, I it thick, thick from here. That's why I'm looking yeah. at that on the I on it. Looked told at that and told you it was thick. Yeah. But. I mean, look at it compared to the stuff to the right of it. Yeah, but I mean, it looked like if you go to Topo. So go to go to Topo. It's, it doesn't look nearly Let me guess it's flat thick. too. Oh, it's perfectly flat. Nice, <laughs> nice and yeah, mushy. Topo doesn't show anything. He said, "Look at that. It's white. It's clear." Well, I also figured if it's swamp area, like you, could, um, you could, it's probably not going to be as thick. So you talk about the difference in clarity in the 
looking at Google Earth versus looking at Onyx. And yes, there is a significant clarity difference. And I hear a lot of people, they want to talk, they, they talk down on the, on Onyx for, um, it's imaging data, right? The, the age of the pictures or the clarity of it. Oh, Google Earth is so much better. You're right. It is. But does Google Earth give you all those layers? No, you have so you to you both. have to sacrifice something yeah. in order to have all those layers. You couldn't fit that much data into your into one app and make it um, affordable without yeah. sacrificing somewhere. Yeah, I'm not ragging on. No, I I'm use just saying all the time. But you, you know, it's right tool, right job. What what which tool? What are you looking for? So in that, in that area that you were looking at, because I'll look for thick. I'll intentionally sometimes look for thick places like that. But I'm looking for an opening in that thick because mm-hmm. it seems like more often than not that opening that's in the thick, the reason it's there is because trees wouldn't grow in it because it is too low. Yeah. So especially if it's not a wet part of time, you go out there and you'll find that opening is, is, is a hammock that's dry, but then all of the other little water courses that are running through that woods run to that place. And what are the deer following? They're following those little water courses. So you can set up in that, in that area sometimes and lo and behold there's your there's your little honey hole your little you know meadow in the middle of the woods i would say most of my like i've i mean i've spent hundreds if not thousands of hours just looking at onyx google earth but mainly for north florida and you never really have to worry about if you can get into a spot so i'm not used to looking at the um the like trying to figure out if it's too thick or if it's a good location i'm more trying to think about like once you're you find deer in an area i don't like to tromp in there go in there all the time do a bunch of scouting i'll scout from majority of the scouting from home and then while i'm out there hunting i'll, I'll put out a trail camera or if i have a thing that they're in this one particular area i'll, I'll kind of scout that area a little bit but uh for the most part it's like basically i'm trying to out i'm not really once you find the deer i find the deer I'm more uh, like trying to outthink people, especially on the yeah. WMAs that are high pressure. I'm not, if the deer are there, they're there. I'm now trying to outthink the other hunter. So when I'm looking at a map, I'm thinking about what other hunters would be doing and then trying to kind of play off of that. That's I where, yeah. I like to look for pinch points where, well, for two reasons, pinch points in the way of food, because that's obvious, but also pinch points where they might, they're going to funnel in and squirt to get off the WMA, mm-hmm. you know, bodies of water. These are easy ones. I mean, I'm, I'm saying these more for listeners. I know you know this, like man, bodies of water are easy. If you got one bridge between two ponds, that's, I can't believe I'll set up on place like that. And there's not six other guys there. Mm-hmm. Like that's so, just such an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Me and William actually talked about that some today, because like I said, that spot where I called you the other day and I was like, these damn deer caught me. And I, I kind of like it's a, a swampy area and then planted pines, but out in the planted pines, it's like a small, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's really a cypress head, but there's a lot of other hardwoods mixed in with it. And it's just a small circle. And actually, hold on, William, I could pull it up here. But so in the midst of that circle, I've been hunting on one side of it. And I said, I think I need to hunt this other pinch point area between the two. And William's like, you need to hunt food. And I said, well, I mean, what are we considering food right now? And then he said, palmetto berries. 
and I said, telling me to hunt palmetto berries is like telling me to hunt near a leaf when you're hunting in the state of Florida. Yeah, they're everywhere right now. Yeah. But also, to the part you left out, pinch points are great, but pinch points are only good because that's where deer are forced to go, not where deer want to go. Yeah. Where this camera is. Which is what I was trying to get across earlier today. That's the camera I dropped. You can see that little head there. All this is pines around it. I hunted here. And then this area here is where I heard the deer moving. So, so between what, what, the what, two hardwoods areas. Yeah, but look, what Jordan's deer. describing looks like that looks like a bottom run through. There's definitely some sort of feature. There is there is a yeah. big bottom right here. It's a it's a river bottom. Yeah. So what we're trying to communicate is use use your software to look for changes in terrain. Yeah. And oh. then go investigate and see what made that change. And then you know look for obviously look for scrapes, look for tracks look for whatever you can rubs man one of the fa- i'm sure you guys know this too man finding we all find a rub mm-hmm. like that's using the heart what's hard to find sometimes is the second rub but man if you could put three rubs together they're almost always in, in a relatively straight line now you're on the highway mm-hmm. like if you can if you can if you can find three rubs in a row set up on you know a little off that middle one so you could still see where it is and there there there's going to be a buck pass through there Mm-hmm. It's almost a guarantee. Yes, on private land, even on public. But it's it's so hard to find the rubs. If you and there the problem with hunting scatter a lot of the time too. Yeah, the problem with hunting rubs on public land, especially in a high uh, pressure area like what you're looking at here in these WMAs, is that the deer is going to rub there. Um, he maybe make a rub line that you can see. And then somebody sees that, hunts on it, bumps him out, and continues to bump him out over and over and over again. Now you see the rub line. It's only two weeks old, but you what you don't know is he's gone. And he I ain't suppose, but back. What, what are you hunting? Opening day? I mean, you're right. All the, I just, there's no perfect solution. It's not no. always going to work. But if you found that rub line and you've got time to hunt it, it's, I, just, I, would, I, would, I would choose to hunt that, especially if it's early. Like if you've got opening gun things like that, I, I would I would take that chance. Yeah, I, I I don't even worry about trying to find a buck on public. Like if I, if you're <laughs> going after a buck, meaning like you got a buck on camera two or three different days, and you're going after that chasing that buck, like like Will was just saying, there could be another hunter that's pushing him off, pushing him so far away. He he might not ever come back. What I'm primarily trying to do is find a group of does. If you can find a group, in my experience at least, like. Uh, when I was still hunting North Florida, basically I found a group of maybe anywhere from like 10 to 15 does. And I could tell you where they were bedded down, where they were going to be walking, what they were going to be doing that day. And the buck are going to come in. They're going to come out. They're going to pass through. The doe might go up, you know, half a mile, mile, meet these buck. I'm hunting the travel paths. So I know where this group of does bedded down. I know where they're more than likely going to be going because pinch points, different things of that nature. And then I'm just trying to dial into paths. So that's right. where I've found my most success seeing bucks consistently. Not the same buck, but just bucks in general, like consistently. Just letting through. the does bring the bucks to you. Exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, from my experience and what I've heard, like buck, especially on public land, they're going to be, they're going to move a little bit more. Like they're going to come, they're going to have a, broader area that they're going to be moving through 
So I'm trying to dial in the dough, and then if I can really, really dial in the dough, eventually a buck's going to come in or or be leaving that group of dough. So that's what I primarily try to do. And, you know, I was hunting with John one of the last days of a uh, season two years ago, and I'm on the same tree. Uh, I'm facing this, like, one way. He's facing the opposite way. He, he, he looks at me and goes, like, three dough behind me. I'm like, no, it should be six, like four big doe, like grown doe and two yearlings. And then he's like, no, no, it's just three. And he goes, oh, no, they're, they're six. And yeah. it's like, I, I knew that, I, I knew that group <laughs> knew that of doe. Pot. Yeah. Do you ever notice it come about the rut though? A lot of times, the, when mama comes into season, she shoes off the youngins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You'll even get on trail cams, you'll see them. Yeah, they're kicking them, mm-hmm. right? They're boxing. Go on, get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mama got a man coming over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, I mean, you either kick them off and then they breed does and then they'll end up packed back together, just like the bucks will after the rut's over. Drop the horns and they all pack back up and wander around like their buddies until the horns get hard and then they fight and split up and. I feel bad for the button bucks because you know that mama just kicked the living tar out of them until they wouldn't come around. And they're just, they're just out there for a while because the big bucks don't want anything to do with them because they're trying to breed. So little button bucks are just out there wandering around lost, showing up at corn feeders, showing up people's backyards like, will you feed me? All by myself. Whenever I'm sitting out there, Especially I'm thinking of like a private land and all of a sudden I get that one lone doe that's just out there standing around doing stupid things. I'm like, I know that. You, know, you sit there and watch long enough, you think, like, there they are. Buttons. Yeah. Tuk, tuk, tuk. Mm-hmm. Right, Briar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big old doe. <laughs> Listen, you, you do have to watch Van sometimes though when it comes to scouting because Van's like, hey, I'm going to hunt here. And I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> that that was a foreign concept as well. Yeah, you're outside of that WMA. Yeah. Van was looking to hunt down here. I had a great plan too. Yeah. He had it all e scouted and planned out. Dude, he was ready. So I mean, when when you pick this spot out down here, what were you looking at? Uh well, I was just looking as like a overall at that whole WMA. Yeah, like because I'm not like uh, I'm not used to the sections of this WMA as a certain. No, no, no. Like, I mean, like uh, you know, what what made you decide that hunting? Had you been able to hunt down here, what made you decide this was going to be a good spot? Well, you have a like a what is that? Dillon State Park. So you have a state park that is going to back into the same woods. <laughs> yeah. And I know it sounds crazy. And then on the other side, you have a I think a game preserve on the other side of the river. That is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you got that. Yeah. So the reason I picked that spot out of everything else is you're gonna have like some of the least amount of hiking atv trails through there so it's gonna be harder to access for regular people and then you're gonna have deer that are more than likely more used to people's scent and seeing people as you're in a state park and i know that state park so i know you know people are going there as like just a activity so basically what i was going to do is hunt the line of that and hope for a deer that 
isn't being pressured or hoping being for by a dogs or exactly hoping for the one that walks right yeah, up to you looking yeah. for popcorn. Yeah, he's hoping for a dumb one. Like I said, yeah. hoping for a dumb one, <laughs> or, or a big one that just happened to step over the line. So that's why I picked that particular area, and I just figured I knew it was a, the closest place you could park. I used the map line distance. The closest place you can park is a mile or a mile and a half away, and most guys aren't going to walk a mile or a mile and a half. So if I can rough it for a mile, mile and a half, I have more than likely, and this is purely, I hadn't stepped foot in the woods, in those particular woods. That's, to me, you have like a high chance of it being an unpressured deer, unpressured location, and a pretty kind of like well-protected area, I guess. So that's why I had picked out that spot. But um, walking a mile, yeah. mile and a half back to the tree stand, it's not bad till you kill something. Yeah. Then you got to drag that deer back mile, mile and a half. That's what I said. To, yeah. I, I was talking to Hunter the other the other morning, uh, or the other day, about that WMA that hunted last week. And he's like, how far is the walk to your stand? I said, about a mile and a half, maybe a little further. And he's like, dad, gum. Because I was talking, I, saw, I told him I had seen pigs. And he's like, ain't no way I'd drag a pig out that far. He said, I don't even want to drag a deer out that far. I said, yeah, but. 90% of my walk is uh, a road that's a beautiful road, but it's closed to vehicle access. He's like, oh, so it opens up to vehicle access real quick when you kill something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real quick. Yeah. I get, I'll sprain my ankle on the way out for that I, one. I will take the ticket. Yeah. The uh, I mean, hey, man, been there, done that, got the shoulder mount. I, I think mm. the farthest hunting spot I have away from my parking spot is 900 yards. I don't hunt very far from the truck. That's not bad. That, that's you know I I've gone before uh, last year, and was it last year maybe last year maybe the year before I was hunting and or going to the stand where I thought I was going to sit that morning, and somebody went and driving past me on the closed trail, and I was like, you know what, in a in a like an excursion, I was like, nope, turn around, started walking back where I parked. Well, then I got back to where I parked and I went down a different trail and I thought I had walked a long ways down that trail in the dark. I'm like, this will work. And I climbed up on this like tree off on the back side of the trail. I could see 70, 80 yards in front of me down the trail. I got a deer trail here, deer trail, deer trail there. I'm like, all right, cool. So the sun starts coming up and I'm like, what's that? I could see something shiny. I'm like, what the heck is shining? <laughs> it's the roof of my truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like 90 yards from the truck. I was like, oh, cool. Well, I guess I don't have far to go. <laughs> I got a, uh, I got set up on that, that last hunt we went on and, um, I'm sitting there and finally got like cooled off. I'm not sweating and thinking I'm dying. Uh, I had maybe a quarter left, like worth of, uh, my water bottle worth of water. And I'm like, oh, I got a ration. I mean, I was struggling bad, <laughs> like really bad. And I finally kind of like cool off, like settle in. And uh, I'm like, what, what is that? I hear a dog. And then I hear a couple cars go by and then hear some music playing. And like, I'm like what the heck is that? Like, I don't like, I didn't see this on the map. I knew I was somewhat near private property, but nowhere like that close. And go back home, look it up online, zoom way in, and there's a road that goes into that private property. So I wasn't anywhere near the private property, but I was near that road, and they were just going up and down. <laughs> but we jumped like we uh, jumped deer 50 yards from where we were hunting earlier that day. The yeah. first time we walked in, and then we came back out and then went into the other side. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there's like, there's deer there. Like 
that's why I don't worry as much about like that's why I don't hunt very far from the truck usually. It's these deer everyone's trying to hunt far from the truck. So I'll hunt close to the truck while you guys go in there and push them right back out to me. Different that's kind theories. of like yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a mindset I've been trying to <laughs> Well, now get the, used to overcoming with. the the uh, popularity of e-bikes mm-hmm. has made it a lot easier to get down. I mean, you can't just take an e-bike off to the woods, but you can cover that mile and a half of closed road pretty quick, and then walk five hundred yards <sighs> off into the woods. Yeah, dude, I tried to look at this one little spot right here in the top of this WMA, and I was like, you know what? There's literally no way to access the back side of this without walking uh, all the way back in there. And you're talking like, you know, at least a mile back in there because you have to park all the way out here. And then I got almost to the property corner and I said, you know what? Screw it. Because I was like ducking through trees and stuff. And I said, there's no way I can drive here. And the only yeah. way I'm going to get a deer out is to drag it to a property line and try and find a homeowner that's going to let me like use their property to get my deer out. Or I'm going to have to drag it through that thick stuff for a mile. You're probably going to have to gut it and, and get it out. Or, or you, know, you guys are talking about some of the packs that you mentioned. But I usually don't. You don't need a really big pack to get a fully gutted, especially like a doe. To get a fully gutted doe whitetail out. You don't need a monster pack. You could almost get that thing out in a book bag. You just backpack method the sucker. Yeah. That's you can be a lot sloppy by the time you walk that thing out. <laughs> I don't care. I don't know. There's other truth. <laughs> so, you know, you're mentioning pigs. You know, people you say, oh, I'm not dragging a pig that far. We all think that way because for some reason, a 90 pound doe and a 90 pound pig, the 90 pound pig feels like it's 250 pounds. <laughs> and it took me a while to figure that out. I think it's because the, the appendages on the pig are so much shorter. When you try to drag it, you got to hold more weight. Body up. Yeah. So the answer is that's why you carry a drag. <laughs> so yeah. another hot tip when you're dragging a deer a long way, if you have to drag it on the ground, if you're dragging it by its back feet, cut the front feet off at the joint 10 times easier because the legs don't snag on anything because they're not there anymore. Yeah. I see. Uh, I'm more of like the call a couple buddies, pull the bad back card. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> And then, uh, then just meet him at the truck, you know, back it up as far as you can, <laughs> grab a leg while everybody's throwing it in, you know. I got, I got it. Thanks, guy. No, I got it. Yeah, the, yeah. You guys are great. No, yeah. I'll give you like, uh, well, I'll make burgers one night. Yeah. Come over. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to get old and guys just do it for you. figured you can't. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim used my dough tag, so I made him drag it out by himself most of the way. <laughs> yeah that was another thing i got a doe tag that i need to give to somebody i'll take it i think well you have to have the hunt yeah. oh okay what is the hunt i don't that's that's i don't remember either it might be the muzzleloader hunt that you want so i might not be giving it out yeah you <laughs> double check on that one because if you got yeah. that one we gonna go on that well so if two people have the hunt the doe tag is transferable the doe tags are transferable. In fact, oh, nice. I had Rock Springs for 27 to 29, which is also a weekend. We have another hunt that we're going on, um, and I drew doe tags for that. Uh, so I gave my doe tags away to somebody else. A friend from high school. I always hey, see her 10, at... 1021 to 1023. You got doe tags for that? Yeah. See, that's the weekend before. So that's the weekend. Okay, we're not giving those up. We're going on that one. <laughs> yeah, and I had doe tags for the next weekend, but I always run into her and her husband 
at the uh, check station. So, and she buys bows from Amanda. So when I had Dotax and I had to turn in that permit because I'm going somewhere else, I said, "Hey, message Alicia and see if her and her husband have that hunt." And they're going to go on the hunt if they want. If they don't have Dotax, I'll give them the Dotax. So I gave them the Dotax. Well, That's a great strategy. Yeah. Rock Springs opens up tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, Friday or Saturday. There may be a, a a bow hunt this weekend. John John pulled it, and then I would be his guest. And I don't think we're gonna go though. Why? Not, after that, when I tell Dude, you, Rock no, Spring, no, 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 yeah, we'll yeah, put you, we'll put you on some pins in Rock Springs. You well, need there, to go to Rock a, Springs. There's this, there's this uh, woman we just got in contact with who's local in Orlando, and she's coming to pick up a saddle tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned like I'm headed out to Rock Springs tomorrow, like to scout. And in my mind, I was like, oh gosh, like this is not going to be good. Like basically picking up a saddle, going straight to the woods. That mm. usually doesn't go well. But either way. Um, I thought she had talked to you guys because what she was saying to me was exactly what, like, I talked to you over the phone and then I talked to um, Jordan Jordan uh, over text about Rock Springs. And you guys were like, he Jordan told me to hunt the west side of it. And then she's like, oh, I've you know, been told the west side's going to be really packed with people because everyone thinks the west side's better. And Everybody like, knows. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I'll give you a discount if you just so, do the look, scouting for <clears throat> us. Statistically speaking... It is the, the majority of the time when a bigger buck is killed in Rock Springs, and this is public information, semi-public information, it's at the check station. If you drove and look at the check station, it'll tell you what side of the uh, WMA it was killed on because it's two separate tracks. There's the west side track and then the regular Rock Springs track, and the, the check station's on that regular side you're going to the west side, you go in there, you say, I'm going to the west side. They say, okay, adios. And you drive back out the gate mm-hmm. and around and back into the other side. Most of the time, when a big buck is killed, it's killed on the west side. So it's yeah. become more popular. It's also more open. I think guys can see further. So I think a lot more coming out muzzleloader and rifle season. There's also going back to the corn feeder phenomena. You got those houses over there. So, yeah, I would so. say, like like you tried to do uh, with that other WMA, um, hunt property lines man yep that's what when i was looking at it i like that kind of like bottom it would be on the I west did, side I bottom right that, corner i sent him that one pin william where you and i found that uh where it was really active in those hardwoods yeah yeah yeah. that's a bit of a walk yeah. um, that is but, a bit of a walk but yeah right there well I, w- I would be hunting probably with john i'll probably be filming him so we would kind of split the gear like where, uh, you know, I'll carry one can, set and he carries basically like a stand or a platform and I'm carrying sticks. And If he gets in and parks where that firefighter was parked, it'd be way easier for them to walk. So here's here's like a right suggestion here. when it comes to hunting uh, management areas like you have in Florida, like Rock Springs and plenty, all the other management areas that are listed to the state. You use Onyx <clears throat> to drop your pins like this. And then you download a Venza maps, which is free, and you can download the state's WMA map. So what you don't see on the Onyx map is where all the roads go. And because if you zoom in where that pin is, there's a road that comes around that I don't think is showed up showing up on this map. Right here. But it's on a Venza maps, and it's a drivable road. It's uh, fairly. Well, it's not a fire lane. It's it's a open road. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I, I, I think it was this road it. that me and you walked. Uh, maybe it was. Anyway, you're going to get, another thing you're going to get on there is closed areas. Because, zoom back out. 
go to your right, like way out. There's a huge area inside there that's closed off to hunting, but it doesn't show up on. Um, it's not Onyx. that one. It's towards the front where the camping area and stuff is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't show up on Onyx, yeah. but it's on the Avenza map. And you can we we that's where we hunted we hunted around that before and stuff like that. So, Avenza maps is good to know the closed areas and some of the other roads that don't get listed. And um, generally, when if FWC has a road closure issue, sometimes they will update that map and red that road out, and then you can have that where it shows it open on one map and close on the most up to date one. Okay. So, and Avenza Maps is free, and you can download that, and it still shows your position on the actual WMA map. Yeah, there's one thing Onyx I don't think does all that great. No, it, you, you're standing in one spot, and so you know your pen jumps over, you know, 100 yards or 200 yards, and you're not sure where you are now. But it's just, and they do make it very easy, easy Bro, to understand, easy to look at. Something I told somebody the other, the guy I was hunting with last week, and I told him. I get lost. I said, every single time I come in here in the morning, I said, I don't really get lost, but it takes me a hell of a lot longer to find the trail. Yep. And he was like, use the tracking system. I said, have you ever tried to walk with Onyx and use the tracking <laughs> system? Because you're like, okay, nope. cool. I'm on the trail. And then next thing you know, your pen's like half a mile to the right. You're like, son of a bitch. This thing ain't been updating. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, well, what happened? You're only pinging GPS so often. Yeah. Um, because if it was constant, it would blow through data and just eat up so much data that it would you'd have to have almost perfect phone signal. Yeah. One of the ways to help avoid that is to download that map section and go to an offline map so that Onyx doesn't have to keep up with anything else except for your GPS yeah. tracking point. Because all the rest of your stuff is already downloaded. It's in a freeze frame, per se. So that'll help with that. And then that's why uh, Avenza Maps is a little bit easier. You'll still do the same thing. You're, you're in tree coverage. It's a GPS. No GPS is infallible. Yeah. It's only going to get you so close, depending on how many satellites it can make contact with. If it's a cloudy day, same thing. Yeah. But like my, my uh, when we got into um spot up in, oh, I'm not sure. If, do you guys care if I say the name? Uh, I can't just name it yeah. WMA. Yeah. Just have yeah. William write it out, and he can put in a shh. That's a good spot. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to call it Bear Lake, but I know it's not Bear uh, Lake George. Uh, like my phone, basically. I mean, I had no battery, but uh, my my maps stopped working, and then uh, we were trying to use John's, and his was barely working. We walked 250 yards past the truck. Uh, I mean, <laughs> parallel with the road, like 30 yards <laughs> off of it, and we were doing zigzags back and forth trying to find this this trail, and I mean. It was a palm frond over, basically, and we were just 250 yards past it, just trudging through the palm fronds. But eventually we, you know, we said, okay, we had to go one way or the other. And right. I don't think it's that way. So let's just head that way instead of continuing on straight. And we found the road and then walked back to the truck. So, yeah, it was a it was a fun time. Been there. Lost navigation, I'm a big fan of waypoints, meaning... I mean, even if I'm not going that far, because like you said, in the dark it gets hard. Um, I'll, I'll on the way when it's when it's easy to see, I'll just drop waypoints along the way, especially along areas that if you get to them, you can then reorient. Like you, because know, sometimes you're off, you're like, 
well, I, I know roughly where I am, but I don't know if I need to go 10 degrees this way or 10 degrees that so, way. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get back to those waypoints and then, oh, now I know exactly where the next thing is. So like, that's the kind of thing like when I was talking about where I think, Jim, you just use Google Maps, don't you? I don't know what you use. Do you use Onyx? Yeah, all okay. the time. I mean, especially yeah, so, we're going to Maine. I'm, yeah. I'm all so about you're, Onyx. You're talking about like waypoints. Like if I zoom in up here, right, I just turned on the tracking feature and it tracks where I walk. So rather than dropping waypoints... It's just got a blue line where I walked. I'd change the color of that line. Me too. I'm sure you can. <laughs> no, I'm saying I would. I know you can. Because yeah. then it doesn't the, look like water. One thing that helps me find like where I'm going, especially if I've kind of got a little off the trail, like if I've been in the area a few times, but not enough where like I'm pretty much like headlamp off, I'm good to go, and I know where I'm going, is um, if you hit the little like target, or I guess... I don't know what you would call that. Like it almost does like zero in on your GPS. Yeah, and yeah. you hit it again, you can tell which way you're looking. Like facing so, have you have you used the new? Have you updated your Onyx to get the new compass feature now? Ooh, uh, no, I didn't do that. Yeah. Okay. So now you can go down to your tools at the bottom and turn the compass feature on, and it puts a line out across your map, and it tells you distance. And as you turn That's towards you, as you turn towards it, it points your line in the direction you're facing. So you can stand there with your phone and turn your body until your line is touching your waypoint. It'll tell you as you zoom in and out how far away that waypoint is based on the line you're looking at. Yeah. So where, where is that feature in Onyx? I'm on that right it, now. It is in you your have to tools. Upload it. That works great. No, no, no. Yeah, you might have to Look. add it to like a overlay or something. That works great until Onyx. Oh, I do see it. Compass mode. There you go, Jim. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, what I found is like when you hit that um, waypoint or like wherever you you are, you're trying to find where you are. A lot of time, if you are like if it hasn't updated or you're, it will you know, update. It'll update, but then at least I can get the direction I need to be heading. Yeah, you know, because if it's not updating, it'll still tell me what way I'm facing. Yeah, so it's like okay, I, I need to go that way, and usually I'm you know half turn away from where I probably should be heading, and yep. then it kind of tells me to get back on track. But when has Onyx had you backwards, Briar? Yeah, it had me. Oh, when been in my boat, and I can do that little feature he was talking about, where you can see what direction you're traveling, and like I know I'm going <coughs> this way, and like I can watch the dot move, and it says I'm facing going the other way. My phone will do that sometimes, and you just got to either get out of the app and it helps to shake it around for mm-hmm. some reason, and then turn the app back on. A lot of times it'll reorient it. That's just something to do, whatever the feature in the phone is. <laughs> It's calibration of the compass inside the phone. Yeah. Uh, which I think you can calibrate your phone compass through the compass app in on your iPhone. Got it. So do you know if that phone, that compass on Onyx, does that work when you're offline? I would think so if it's turning, if it's tuned into your... You'd probably have to download that area. I would, I would well, that's what I mean. Like when I go to Maine, uh, there's no... Yeah. Man, if you, that's... It's like hunting out west, man. If you don't download the map ahead of time, you're, yeah. you're hopeless. But... It shows you exactly where you are. That's the greatest thing. You can turn your phone onto airplane mode, so it's hardly using any juice. It'll tell you exactly where you are. You can navigate a roads or trails or whatever. But having that compass thing would be a, a great feature if it works. If it also then works with that map offline. Yeah. I imagine it would because it's because I'm pretty sure that when I'm offline, I just turned mine offline the, and it's still it working. still tells you which direction you're heading. You know how the, the it fans out and that. Yeah, and then you yeah. also still have like if as long as your point like where you are is updated as well, because then if you, you still got the direction, meaning what way you're facing, 
and then you have your point that's moving around in that area, well, then it has the distance correct, and then it would also have the dir- like direction correct. So nice. I guess as long as it, like it's working properly, it, I would imagine it would work. But uh, Jordan, you, how did that area look? Dude, it's uh, it's weird. Uh, it's a huge um, live oak head, but it's all like really grassy underneath it, except for you know it's obviously open over here. Um, it's just weird to hunt, but then you know I walked like down through it. That's a fire break that comes down through it, uh, and I followed that fire break all the way over here. And between these live oaks and those pines, there is a just a piss load of sign. Yeah, because when I when you sent me that like the WAMA as a whole, like, I mean when I say I looked at it for thirty seconds, like I, yeah. I quite literally opened the map, zoomed in, looked, and like it, it's not a huge WMA, and I'm no. guessing there's probably a decent amount of hunters out there. Uh, it's permitted, so they actually keep it pretty small. But from what I've heard, uh, from talking to the couple guys that I've ran into this year that essentially the state of Florida has had this WMA for three or four years, I think. And from the time that when the timber company owned it to the state of Florida got it, in those four years, the WMA has gone to shit in a handbasket. It looks, they say that the property looks like complete ass Mm -hmm. compared to what it did when when the timber company had it. Yeah, because when I looked at that, I just looked at where like the main entrances and where are they going. Yeah, and then I was like, all right, well, how's everyone else thinking? Yeah, and then I was like, okay, you come in off the main entrance and just pretty much everybody straight accesses down. it from right there. Yep. So I would imagine most people are going to be going deep or going to the middle of yeah. it and it's, parking. From what I saw, most people are going down by your other pen over here. Okay. Yeah. That's so, cray-cray, man. I'd be right where you were for the terrain feature to the, to the west. Yeah. Well, actually, most of my hunting was where all these red pens are. Really? Yeah. Why not? Well, like, since you're not hunting anymore, why weren't you hunting the backyards? Uh, I just hadn't. I mean, I still have it. I still have the permit. The permit's open till uh, October 8th. Oh, fantastic. So, is that go, a, go get some hibiscus flavor and, you know, marigold yeah. flavored deer. So there is a huge, there's a, <laughs> yeah, there's a huge brick wall. Between this oh. neighborhood and uh, yeah, and then is that a can you is that a road right there in the middle the huge cut it's power line power line okay power line so but I've been th- I've been thinking about uh kind of hunting this transition area here up against this because all this darker blue is not huntable so I kind of want to maybe get in there or some of this stuff try to get up to this north end and look at it more when Jordan's referring to this area and that area. I'm talking about transitions between there's it's it's like a creek but it's a hardwoods area and there's planted pines on either side so I want to try and hunt uh the fire break between these hardwoods and these pines unless I find sign better sign you know in the pines or and you could almost bet those hardwoods are also bottoms there's probably some areas that that pretty much that whole even the pines are wet the whole WMA is wet yeah Interesting. So transition area is uh, when you're looking at two different types of forest, yeah. be it be a swamp or planted pines or <clears throat> hardwood forest going into planted pines or going into swamp. There's a definitive line where it transitions over. And a lot of times on that line, you get uh, thicker cover because more sunlight gets in in that area. 
which means more browse, more places to hide. And the deer will use that natural trail to move back and forth, uh, like up and down, move that in a linear path up and down that transition area. But you talk about that brick wall, man. That's a, that's a, uh, like a choke point. Yeah. Yeah. But another thing too, when you look at this, you know, like, uh, looking at Onyx here, obviously we have our hardwoods cause I have my, uh, oak, my acorn producing oak filter on, but then you see like this kind of darker green. That's younger pine. I'd say these pines are probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years old. And then these other, you know, lighter green pines are pines that have now been third road. So they're probably, you know, 25, 30 years old. Yeah. So the point is use your images and little tiny pine trees, probably not a great place to start. I don't yeah. know, man. Cause the problem is those little pine trees, uh, they're still open under them. Did- and like, you know, hunting in my saddle, not that I really want to, but I can get in those younger pines what, hunt with a blind? I can hunt out of my saddle in there. They're tall enough to where yeah. I can, I've, I've hunted. I can hunt one. I can hunt one or trees. two stick high. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've hunted a pine tree. Bad. It was a bad spot for that morning because the wind was between like twenty and thirty, and I was up there for like an hour, maybe two hours, and then I realized I'm I'm swaying so bad here <laughs> that if a deer does come in, I'm I, there's no possible way I'm going to shoot this deer. I mean, it was a steady like twenty to thirty mile an hour wind. And yeah, it was just two feet to the left, two feet to the right. I mean, it's swaying pretty bad. Okay, now but, here you go. Yeah, you can get in some tiny trees. Oh yeah, there's there. actual terrain changes. I took you up here to where you've dropped a couple of pins when we hunted up in Tennessee, yeah. so you can see uh, legitimate topography. And now you see what I'm talking about earlier, where how close together these lines are versus how far apart these lines are. That's a faster slope. Yeah. Yeah, tighter lines. Right. Um, and then you look at, if you had them really close together, this is a, and you had that finger come out. That's not a bad place to sit. Cause with that low area down between, I know where you're at here. Yeah. So, so I mean, hold on here. Zoom back in. When, when we're looking at topo and this is a lot of stuff and it's not something you see a lot in Florida. So if you're hunting outside of Florida, tell me about, you were just mentioning about like a pinch point because the lines are closer in one area. Well, that just means it'll be mm, steeper, right? Not so. Let me see if I can find one. I'll find you a natural pinch point. Uh, I'm sure I can find one close by here. Talk about something for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, the, that. So, and I heard somebody say the other day, you know, I talked about acorn producing oaks a second ago. Um, they were like, I know that the acorns these trees right here should be producing this year because this is the acorn producing oak map. And I was like, what? Yeah, that, that has not, I'll be telling you the truth. The acorn map thing, like the layer you got going on yeah. right now has not worked for me in the past. That just tells me where hardwoods are for me. Yeah. That's all I care. Yeah. Like they can't, <laughs> like, from a satellite, they're going to tell you if yeah. oak is producing acorns that year. Yeah. <laughs> like I've walked into the, this dude, this guy had honestly oaks. believed that like, these this red map changes year to year like because these oaks you know because oak trees don't really drop acorns every year right okay so this is what a natural funnel would look like obviously you see the the creek down in there yeah but 
even bar the creek being there, you have a high ridge here and a high ridge here. And let's see if I can find your tools on this. There we go. It's right there where it says tools. Yeah, it looks different than a phone. I don't need elite tools. Top right, maybe? Yeah. I need line distance. I need to go from here to here. That's 150 yards. So that's definitely a pinch point that you could sit in and hunt in. And because it's hardwoods, you can probably see across most of that. You have the two, an elevation of 550 feet on one side, and then it drops down to 40, 30. It drops down 20 foot elevation into a bottom, and it's only 157 yards wide. That's a natural pinch point. The deer are going to funnel through there if they're walking the bottom. So you're, okay, so I, I focus like pinch points when I'm in the woods, meaning, okay, uh, one spot that I hunted a lot two years ago was between two lakes. And there was a maybe 30 yard total like width between them that you could get through. Not and necessarily it, a pinch, uh, pinch point's not the right, it's a, it's a natural funnel. Yeah. So yeah. I go more for like, I'm trying to find bedding areas and then where they're going to be moving out of. That's like, that's how I am going to do more of my like scouting. And then once I'm able to find that area. That's where I'm hunting so, more of. So, in an area like this where you have a lot of terrain feature, uh, if you're going to e-scout and you know where the bedding area is, let's say you're looking at a spot like this and towards the top end of the map is the bedding area and the south end of the map down here, that open field, we'll so say that's agriculture. They planted that in soybeans. Yeah. Okay. And you know that on one side of that that natural funnel is where they're bedding and on the other side is where the soybeans are. Yeah, then I'm going to hunt You hunt the funnel. Yep. Yeah. Because, not because that, the deer, I mean, you could kill them at either end of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. But if you hunted in that funnel, even if you sat on one side, the deer has to walk. He's going to walk within 150 yards of you. Yep. Because they're going to move with that natural funnel through there. That's how you're hunting a a funnel. You can't just go out and be like, oh, this is a good funnel and sit right here. Yeah. Because if there's not something on either side of it, the deer want to either come to or go, you're coming and going from and moving through there, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And like the... The one location I was just talking about with the two lakes and I'm hunting kind of in between waiting because it's a more of a pinch point than it is right. a funnel. I mean, I guess for Florida, it would be considered a funnel since we don't really have any total. So but. what you see in Florida that creates funnels, especially after a hurricane, is <coughs> when you get a lot of trees get blown over. Mm-hmm. And it creates dense vegetation that deer can't just walk through. Yeah. So they'll go around it. So if you go through, and you can even take private property <clears throat> and cut trees which we did on a piece of private we had in tennessee we would cut trees hinge cut trees and drop them over a trail to make it inaccessible so the deer would have to go around and come the other way and that brought the deer within 40 yards of where the the tree stand was yeah so you're creating a pinch point by dropping trees in their way and they go around it Mm -hmm. but you'll see the same thing here after a hurricane comes through we get a bad storm of tornadoes and stuff like that but that's constantly changing Mm -hmm. because it falls over uh, and then it decays or whatever, somebody, the forestry division comes out and cuts it if it falls across the road and it all changes. So that's something you got to constantly keep up with if you don't have natural topography like that, lakes, stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I knew the, the buck were bedding somewhere on like the north side of those two lakes. And I knew for a fact the doe, and that was the same place I was talking about 
uh, that I was hunting with John when he's like, hey, the three doe behind you. And I said, no, it should be six. And then he right. waited a second, goes, oh, there is six. They were coming out of the bedding and they were going right through that pinch point. I don't know if they're going to eat or going to meet up with bucks. We did see a, or no, the morning before I saw a buck up that hill. And um, so that's why we were hunting that particular area. It was a pinch point that bedding was on one side and I knew they were going to be going either to food or to bucks. Um, or not going to bucks, but going to the general area that right. I've seen the majority of the bucks and the bucks come the opposite way, come into the does. So, I mean, it's been a great spot. It hasn't produced anything, but if you want to see a bunch of stuff, that's where it is. That's where the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in the hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. You want to go? That's why I like hunting outside the state of Florida because when your buddy in Florida texts you and he's like, hey, there's three does behind you, if you don't have doe tags, it's more of a warning, like don't get busted. Whereas if you're hunting somewhere else, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, hey, there's three does behind you as a warning of be real careful, try and squeeze off a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doe season is very, we talked about it last time we were on the podcast, doe season's short down here. It's, it's difficult. I mean, it's hot. Well, it has to be. Yeah understandably so but i wish uh wish they would make a doe season in winter i just man the heat is well you usually get a couple of days around thanksgiving yeah if you have private property fair enough if you have private property. public land you got to have doe tags or some you, archery areas yeah so up in Apalachicola, you can do there's two or the past couple of years has been two doe seasons i'm not sure about or doe weekends i'm mm. not sure about uh this year but I think I saw one right near, um, it's always right near uh, um, New Year's. So the, the best thing I can tell you, man, and I hate when I see the question asked on Florida Hunters Network and stuff like that all the time, people want to know, where is a WMA I can hunt without a permit? And then it constantly gets posted, uh, Oh, just use the WMA finder. Yeah. Put that parameter in there. See what you get. <laughs> you get two in the entire state. There's more than that. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you that. It's not broad enough. Pick the WMAs around you and just read the rules. Yeah. And well, those are, those are probably people that are at the same time are probably trying to just get into it. Or they've recently moved down here. Mm -hmm. I feel for them. But that, that's also where the forgive the term, but you're also kind of separating the men from the boys. We've all been that. I've mentored. I hate to see them. That, you know, there's two kinds of people, right? But yeah. <laughs> there are, there's, there's some people that they say that you want to get into hunting and you take them out a couple of times. And next thing you know, like you took them out once and they show up, they sold their car. <laughs> now, now they got a pickup truck. They've already bought deer stands or, or they bought yeah. shotguns. We took one fellow out. He went, Quail hunting one time, he's a pretty affluent guy. But within two weeks, he, he put like twenty five grand into a dog. 
Like he just was like, I'm in. Joined the Quail Lease. Like, whoa. So there's some people that just are like, they get into it and then they figure out what do they need to do it. And there's other folks where you could take them and take them and take them and they will not go out in the woods unless you're with them. Can't do that anymore, man. It's like yeah. eventually, it's like you, I'm the guy. Like if you don't look like you're gonna spread your wings real fast, it's like checkers. Yeah, <laughs> more your speed. <laughs> and it's it's not that hard. Like so, coming from hunting North Florida, where you have a 500,000 plus acre national forest that you can go hunt, no quotas. You hunt from basically October. This year is October 21st through February 12th, with if you're hunting bow, you can, aside from like one or two weekends, you can hunt that entire time. The coming down here, I was one of those guys that had no idea what was going on with the WMAs, but I call Will, talk to him for two hours, and then I just start reading. He gave me like some good, good tips on like how to apply for quotas and things like that, but he just told me, hey, do this, do that, and you know, he, he didn't walk me through the process, but I want to hunt. So I went and started reading, and I looked up in WMAs, and because you transcended, you're no longer you're a killer. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't mean that. Be. I don't mean that comic. I mean like there, Chuck Etchenique is a great example. I don't Chuck at this point knows most state of Florida, but Chuck's got enough knowledge that you give Chuck, you give Chuck a hint that there might be animals in there, he can go kill one. Okay. Right? I mean, there's a bunch of guys like that, you know, and and and. You know, when you just, after you've hunted enough and you've seen enough, you just start to be able to pick the things out real fast. If you, if you get close, they'll, they'll figure it out. I mean, maybe not day one, but that's how you are. Cause you'll then start going down your checklist of what's worked before. Yeah. And it's constantly being f- refined and honed and you just get pretty damn good at it, man. You eventually, I mean, it's still hunting. I don't mean that, but you're not just out there plunking around hoping something comes up. You're, you're really hunting. It's like playing playing poker, you know. Almost like you're yeah. you're thinking of the moves ahead, thinking partially of you know what's happened in that hand, for example. Meaning, oh, I went to this area, I saw this stuff, and the deer headed this way, and then you're kind of trying to think of why are they going this way, and you're trying to get ahead of them, and you're playing a game with them in a way, but it's a more strategic game than when you're first starting out, where it's kind of just like a, I'm going to go sit in a spot that looks good and hope something comes out. Yeah. You know? So if you're listening to this, if you're still with us and you're relatively new, by the way, if you notice a lot of times you find deer tracks always riding in one direction, that's because they're walking in loops. What you really want to do is find the ones where you got deer tracks going in both directions. Yeah. Then, you know, for whatever reason, they're going to and fro, probably to a food source or something like that. But I don't know. Little, it, it may not seem like a big hint, but if you've got tracks going both directions, that's a higher likelihood that you're going to grab one than if you just got tracks going in one direction. I don't even know why that is, but I guess it, it kind of makes sense. We're creatures. If you got to go from your house to an office, do you take a different route every day? Right? Or you might go, you might go one way on the way to work because traffic is light, and you go a different way on the way home. So for whatever reason, deer seem to walk in loops as well. Yeah. Here's here's another uh, really hot tip when it comes to tracks. If you're walking a fire break and you see tracks going one direction, the other direction, all of a sudden you hit a spot where tracks are literally going every direction, you're standing next to a food source. Yeah. So fire do you breaks realize down not? here, they're basically burning a, a line in the forest. 
a fire break would mean they come through with like a cat D five dozer and plow a bunch of dirt so they can light all the forest one side of it on fire yeah. and it doesn't jump that that line of sand. Okay, I got you. Yeah. yeah. So which it's, it's kind of one of those field of dreams type things where they're like a fire break. Is that live? Just now? That's right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fire break is one of those things where you're like, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. So forestry plows a fire break. And Look, deer. man. Deer, deer are the exact same way you are. They don't, they want the path of least resistance. Yeah. If you walk into something and I mean, you got to keep in mind though, if you're standing there and especially at your head height, it's super thick, uh, but down around like between your nipple and your waist, it's not super thick. The deer might be moving through there. Yeah. That's what I found too, especially like. One when I was uh, on my hands and knees crawling through the woods a couple weekends ago. Not so thick down there, is it? <laughs> not not very thick. <laughs> but the platform that's on your backpack that is yeah, seemingly yeah. very thick because it catches on every vine yeah. in the place. But yeah, that's a uh, to me though that that kind of screams like a they they're more than likely also bedding down in this area as well. Like in my experience, they're bedding in some very thick stuff. But I'm also you guys I'm also used to hunting high pressured like dog hunt areas right where the deer are bedding in extremely well, thick it's the stuff. same as if you were hunting ocala yeah i've never been to, out to ocala yeah. before it's it's a high pressure dog hunting area but there's also places where you can kind of get away from that are there any still hunts like still hunt zones in ocala? Yeah, north yeah, of 40 north 40 yeah. yeah, so I mean that's always, uh, I mean preferred, but yeah. I just go there. But there's also places where, yeah, there's there's also places where, well, I won't name them because I like to keep them. You but. can you can go to a place like that and look in a direction where you reach a point of no return. You're like they could they could drop dogs here, but there's no way for them to pick them up anywhere but here. They're probably not going to drop dogs there. Yeah. Because they need the dog to turn around and come back to where they dropped it from. Yeah. So, so dogs may still end up in that area on a race if the deer crosses into that area. But you can look at higher likelihood of dropping dogs is if you've got a block on a block where you have a road on all four sides. They if they can drop a dog in there, they're going to because they can get all the way around it. Yeah. Versus if your block of woods you're hunting on one side is backed up to a huge swamp. Or something like that that they can't get a vehicle into. You're you're probably quite all right for the most part. Yeah, and like uh, the spot we hunted in Tallahassee, I was I'm not sure if we were already rolling uh, when I was talking about it, but right off the back of that airport, it would be the airport on this side, residential on this side, kind of creating a triangle. And the first place you can really drop dogs is a a good ways up above that. So we're hunting down in that triangle where most. I mean that's basically the first available spot to hunt when you hit the woods so most guys either driving past it or the dogs are being run all north of it pushing them into this basically a funnel or a trap you won't see a buck in there during um during bow season muzzle loading season as soon as general gun comes around and dogs start getting run up north it's i mean a different buck every single day and now most of the time they're kind of passing through or they might cross the road and kind of you'll catch them on a trail camera but like that's why we hunted that area. You're not dealing with dogs that are running necessarily through there, but you're kind of using the dogs to your advantage where they're pushing the deer kind of down right. into that pinch point. And it, it worked out. Now you're then hunting deer that are moving most of the time. So so it's hard to kind of dial them in. 
But that brings up an, another topic that I've, I've read about. Dog hunters feel differently than I do. Most of them, I think. So if guys are running dogs and you're out there hunting a stand or hunting a saddle or whatever, and a deer runs by and you shoot it. And then you know, you're know you getting down to get your deer and you know, as you're dressing it out or dragging it, all of a sudden the guys with the dogs show up. Guys, the, the, guy, the guys with the dogs want you to split it. And I'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> about your luck. Right? Like, I sat here, I sat up here, and yeah, you may have run, but any number of things might have pushed that deer here. I'll tell you that I was ra- my the original way I started hunting was with dogs. And if dog hunters run a deer to me, I'll split a deer with them. That's all right. I would not. I'd say it's, you know, it's personal preference. See, uh, but I'm not trying to my, hunt. Here, here's my thing. If I'm going to split the deer with you, you're going to come back. You found me back there before I got to my truck. And you you think we're going to split the deer? You best grab a leg. Yeah, well, most I agree. Yeah. If you ain't dragging, you ain't getting yeah. nothing. You know, I see now, that. I might not like, you know, I guess you're splitting it down the middle where everybody gets a front and a back, but. Not if I'm paying for processing. I'll take no. the top. Either take that the or you're splitting processing. Yeah. It, 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 I, I fully agree. If we're going to split, we're going to split. Yeah. You know, as I yeah. say that, when I say I, I would not, the truth of the matter is I'm pretty freaking generous with stuff anyway. I would probably, I would probably offer it, but kind of the funny part about that is like, I'm just, in reality, I'm not that territorial. What I'm really saying when I say I wouldn't split it is, the expectation of the feel that all of a sudden somebody should be able to compel you. Oh yeah, I agree with so. that. And um, I mean, we're all doing the same thing, but it's like What's I, also, I don't think well, anybody's necessarily so, working harder than another or more deserving. I don't know that anyone should feel compelled to uh, get you to split a deer with them. Say if if someone else in their group had shot that deer in front of their dogs, would they ask for half the meat? That's courtesy. Yeah. My thing is, it's like if that's the way that goes. So, so yeah, but, the, but, then, but everybody in that, that team, everybody in that team, then, then yeah, you better. You ain't never gonna get deer meat off a of, off a of deer. You mean because it ain't just usually just one person's dogs. You better divide it up four or five ways. Right, but then everybody's in agreement in that case. But if you're just out there sitting in the woods, you didn't ask them to run the dogs through there, and to say, well, this is a dog hunting area. It's like it's also it, it's still just as much my area yeah. as it is your area. That that and that's kind of where it is. It's like yeah. I think uh, another part of... Looking at it from the dog hunter's perspective, that guy's fed them dogs, kept them dogs up all year round, took them out to do dog training, probably ran fox with them dogs. He's got a lot of money in them dogs. So should I give you half my ducks? But, uh... Because you use my boat. And your dog? No, but that's... I'm like... But, that's, but they're, I'm feeding one dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeding one dog and they're feeding six. No, I understand you know why I mean? that's there. But if you're going to go out and you're going to hunt public land with your dogs, cause, well, one, the assumption, because the dog hunter wasn't there when you dropped the deer. The Do I need to call Billy Morton? The assumption that the only reason that you killed that deer is because your dogs was present. Like, wait a second. I set up here because deer run through here. Yeah. Right? There's there's a lot of things going on. And, and, and it's, it is the guy that kills the deer ought to make the decision. And the idea that you that you are somehow wrong by choosing not to split the meat 
that you should be compelled. That's what grades against me. Yeah, yeah I think I, I don't disagree. I think you should offer, but I don't think you sh- it should. You should feel like you have to. If I, well, if I was a dog hunter, I would say if I came up to a truck and the guy's loading up a deer that I know we just pushed to him, and he's got a bow in his hand and it's general gun season where you can run dogs. I'm not going to ask that guy for splitting the deer with me. Now, if I yeah. walk up and he's got a you know, 308 and he's like, yeah, I just shot this deer from 300 yards away. He came yep. running in here. I'd be like, right, maybe so. I'm telling <coughs> you, my main thing is if he just shot a dog with a bow in front of dogs. A deer. Or a deer with a, a bow in front of dogs. I don't want to mess with him anyways. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that know, man's got some serious skill to lead that deer enough with a bow to... Let me wrap one other thing to you here because I realize that this conversation, when you say dog hunters, it's cast in a really broad net. Because as I'm thinking through it, I know some guys that are that run deer with dogs that actually would be just thrilled that anybody they don't run the deer. They'll, they'll eat the meat, they certainly use it. But for them it's ninety ten. It's ninety percent dogs, ten percent deer. Yeah. You know, they would probably be very, very happy. So when I'm saying that, it is the I'm really my beef, if it is that, is with that, and it might even be a minority because I'm not really into that culture. Can we that have that expectation that well I ran this in here and you weren't you know now you owe me, and that's the answer that I don't to be soft about it. I like, no I don't I don't think I don't think that other sportsman does other person. Can we from this point on refer to that as your venison <laughs> instead of your beef? This is a hunting podcast. Oh, my venison with yeah. them. <laughs> and, and for the record, when I when I said we were hunting that area for the dogs to push the deer in, not like uh, what I meant is I didn't mean in that moment, like where they're pushing no, these deer, like where they're like literally running through, but more of like where there's a lot the of pressure, pressure up north. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so, how, do, I, I talk to Will about this all the time. The first when I'm looking to set up on public land. If it's not the first thing, it's the second thing. I'm hunting the hunters. Yeah. How are the? I, I I do. I tend to look for places. Uh, we you know, uh, straight lines, whatever, you know, just brush lines, etc. Fire breaks, but real quick, I'm like, where does that look like a place that deer are going to squirt? I'm big on hunting squirters. Yeah. Foot mobile squirters. You know, it's like, so Don't it's like it's kind of the same thing. Well, I think uh, if, if you can find the least pressured deer in a high pressured area, that's also the most, like the highest likely chance that they're going to be on a pattern or somewhat of a pattern where you can kind of figure them out a little bit more. So that's why I'm focusing, like, or thinking about other hunters almost more than I'm thinking about the way the deer are going to be moving through this area. It's like, if I can find unpressured deer, I can figure them out. But it's finding those unpressured deer that's hard. So I'm trying to figure out the hunters. I, first. I want I want to say that if you've never, if you want to talk bad about people that run deer with dogs, and you've never actually ran deer with dog, then you need to go try it. You will never see as many members of a family. I'm talking like a four month old baby <laughs> out there. With the whole rest of the family, everybody's wearing, there's no orange vest in dog hunting. There's blaze orange hoodies. 
Blaze orange, yeah. Just Blaze the whole orange jacket. sweatpants. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not like, well, I got to wear an orange vest. Like, I bought this at the, in the safety department at Walmart, yeah. and it's a whole hoodie. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't generally wear camouflage. No. It's a family event. But it's a very, it's a big so family affair. Well, you look, you know, we had the lease in Southeast Georgia, oh, yeah. and our camp was, we had a 10,000 or 11,000 acre dog club that surrounded our 200 acre piece. And we had our trailer in their camp. They allowed us to like rent a camp space, so we had power and water, and we would eat dinner with them every night, and we would just trade blows, friendly blows back and forth about how who hunted what, and we'd all eat together and laugh together, and they're come on out here and run some dogs with us, and blah blah blah. And we had our radios, and every time the dogs would turn towards our property, they're on the radio, Reedy Branch, they're coming your way, get ready, you know. And we had a really good time with those guys. And they'd run the property exactly. Line. Those, those are the guys that are ninety percent dog, ten percent deer. Right, right, and and oh, and them boys, them boys, say, listen, them boys killed some freaking big old bucks in front of the dogs too. Yeah, if there's anybody listening to this that thinks that I have any animosity or wish that there weren't dog hunters, uh, no, absolutely not. I'm the first guy to defend those, and I think I've said that a number of times on the podcast that men been hunting with dogs for like fifteen thousand years or ten thousand years, um, and I think that that is the easiest way for those that are opposed to all forms of hunting. They, you know, they try to dehumanize that, and I, I, I'll fight that tooth and nail. To the bitter end. Yeah. It was so all my just, I feel like now I have to justify this comment. Really, I think I'm talking about a handful of folks that frankly set some expectations I just think are over the line. But I will defend dog hunting. I think I think that the people that, that set that expectation are the polar opposite of the same people who hate dog hunters and urban dog hunting. Uh, yeah, I have no problem with them. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm on a WMA that has a still hunt area and I'm choosing to hunt. In the and, dog under do- yeah yeah if any if it, there's one thing I'm upset about is that I drive a 2006 F-150 and it would cost me an extra you know thirty dollars to drive the twenty minutes down the road to the still hunt area like other like, I can't be mad at dog you know what's crazy when I'm though you, in their you, area. You maybe think about this you got you talking about driving a 2006 F-150 and then that dog camp up there the guy pulls up they'll pull up in a dang brand new 2023 GMC Denali. With a dog box on the back, I'm like, you are freaking nuts. He's running. He, he ain't running nothing but the hard roads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but still, I'm like, why? Why would you do that? There's and you get the you, ends of both spectrum. The guy, you get that guy. You get the guy. He's like, yeah, that that truck right there. It's not even tagged or insured. I'm not even sure. I, I brought it here four or five years ago. Maybe it'll crank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah man. But those the, the, the old SR fives are like the. That's like the dog hunters. Those little Toyota small box. Yeah. Oh Those, yeah. They're, they're, you know they're narrow gauge. They can run there, through anything. They're indestructible. They made a million of them. That yeah. and single cab Chevrolets. Yeah. Oh yeah. I say that, but also no F one fifties. Single cab short bed anything. No F one fifties, man, with the locking hubs. No body mounts. <laughs> Just straight <laughs> rattling as it goes down the dirt road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll pull up at a two thousand six F one fifty and step out and and full key clothing, all matching backpack matches. I mean, head to toe, everything matches. Um, my camo costs more than the truck itself. <laughs> I got, I got my priorities backwards. I might not get to the hunting spot, no, you but I'm gonna look good walking back home. Yeah, gosh. Uh, I'm saving the one with the he old. said, "I look so damn good at the gas station checkout counter." Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, we were, we were out. Uh, I was out checking on camera the other day and drove down a pretty tight trail. And Destiny was like. I wish we could afford you a hunting truck so you didn't have to do this in your personal truck. I said, "That's what this truck." This is for. why I bought a white truck. 
Like I knew, uh, like I bought a mid-sized white truck for this purpose. Not that I'm going to do it to the extent, because if I was a dog hunter, I'd run down this trail at 25 miles an hour. If I was clipping trees, slamming mirrors off, I don't care. <laughs> That's how I do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting to the parking spot first. I'm not even racing anybody. You go outside and look at my truck. It's green. You see the, 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 uh, yeah. Ocala pins, pin, yeah, Paisley pinstripes on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I was driving it down like a four-wheeler trail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I went on a ride-along with FWC one time, and he was driving. I don't even know if it was a trail. It was just an easier way to drive through the woods. And scratching the piss out of the truck, he said, well, look at it. It's a piece of work equipment, and I'm going to use it like that. Yeah. <laughs> He also doesn't pay for that truck, probably. Good deal. (laughs) That hurt. (laughs) We used to have a guy at our lease named Hans, and Hans is a great guy. In fact, you've had... um, Henrik. He's friends with Henrik, right? And and, uh, Hans used to roll up in his Range Rover. And uh, it was one of those momentary where I, I started thinking about things different. We had a place all overgrown, and we're trying to get back to it. I forget if we're chasing a deer or not, trying to... You know, get to a place where we could get it out, and he pulls up, and you can tell, and he pauses for a moment, and it's also wet, and I'm like, oh man, you're gonna wreck your car. And he looks at me, and he goes, "This truck works for me." <laughs> <laughs> Drops it load, steps on it, and like you said, all the way through, <laughs> in a Range Rover, oh, yeah, or a Land this, Rover, probably, yeah, Land la- Rover. Yeah. This truck works for me. <laughs> Dude, those Land Rovers are no nasty. fucks to give. I don't know if you've looked on Facebook Marketplace, but if I was to buy a hunting rig, I would buy one of those Land Rovers. Like, they have so much room inside them, and then they're not even that expensive. They were the original toaster car. One a of, Land Rover yeah. Discovery. No, one of these Discoverer. things. No, Discovery. That thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, the ones like they got out in the outback. That's, yeah, that's what that reminds me of. The Land Rover Discoveries are nasty. I think it's I think it's a matter of parts and and you better know how to fix that thing. Oh, I know, yeah. but you can get them for like you know, a one in really good condition is nine grand. I don't necessarily know those things are really in good condition when they come off the line, but, but like <laughs> they're I just say they're temperamental. Yeah, but none yeah. of them are stock, though. That's what no. you'll notice. Not a single yeah. one of them are stock. They all got snorkels on them. Yeah, they got snorkels. They got big old tires. They got new engine. They got something Dude. that's been changed out. I just want I want AJ's Toyota pickup truck. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's our five, right? Yeah. But you mentioned snorkels. Like, if I'm going to go buy an SUV and somebody's selling an SUV, the first thing I look at, if that thing's got a snorkel on it, I'm like, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep if on I'm, going. It's like if trying I'm to buy looking, a four-wheeler. Yeah. If I'm looking for something to run in the woods, I'm like, will it run without oil in it? <laughs> That's when you get Toyota. the Toyota. Check. Or the little yeah. Nissan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like trying to buy a new four-wheeler these days. You're like, I'm going to get a used for that one. That is that sitting on 37s? What? <laughs> Do, yeah. I have to have a drop hitch to pull a disc? I don't want that. Yeah. Next. <laughs> That's why you just buy a micro truck. Yeah. Hey man, uh, AJ's truck can pull the disc. Briar has can can attest to that. It will. <laughs> just, just you pulled a four wheeler disc with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they pulled the four wheeler disc. You originally pulled it with the lawnmower, didn't you? Yeah, I think no. There was a picture of somebody driving by on that uh-uh. little snapper I used to have. That was like no, a bush hog on a ride on bush hogs. Dude, thing snappers are ride on bush hogs. <laughs> it, it was that was a cedar. Oh, that's right. You were pulling the yeah the cedar. 
You got some thick stuff, drive a snapper off into it. Dude, I mowed through so many briar, just a straight briar patch with that dang snapper. It is literally just a bush hog you sit on top of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would drive into my the old hunt spot just oh, basically half the way. The other half the way was just thump, 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 just hitting tree branches. And then I was having I was having a real bad day one time. I don't know what I was frustrated about or upset. I was probably running late, tired, overheated, and smacked the tree just like uh, side mirror gone. And Ooh. then I'm like getting out of the truck. I'm trying to find it. Can't find it. It, oh, it was the most fr- you know like when you're just having a bad day and like that you're, one little thing get, happens. Things can't get worse. Yeah, and I was and like, you know what? Do. I'll find it when I'm when I'm leaving. And of course, I'm leaving at nighttime. Yeah, I drove around no side mirror for man, a year plus easily. <laughs> hey, you know what? I ripped the side mirror off my truck on the driver's side about the same time Jordan, just after he ripped it off on his passenger side and he bought tow mirrors for his truck. I was like, hey, you still got that driver's side mirror? He's like, yes, <laughs> mail it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I can't even remember how I ripped my dang. Oh, I think I was backing out and that model on my, the Silverado I had, the mirrors didn't like flip backwards. I was backing out of somewhere, and the mirror caught a tree and just ripped the mirror off the truck. And I said, damn. So I went and bought tow mirrors for it. And then, like, William hit a street sign with his, and... You weren't even in the woods. (laughs) No, man. I I was going to work uh, one Saturday morning. I had to work on a Saturday, and I dropped my electric razor, and I reached down into the floorboard to grab it. And when I looked up, the street sign was in the middle of my hood. And I was like, oh, shit. And I swerved to the right and then swerved back. To, I missed, I clipped the street sign, missed the guide wires on the telephone pole, and then was just at a stop on the side of the road. Yeah. And I was like, oh. when I, when I, I was like, I mean, the street sign just down the side of my truck, um, but, uh, and messed that, that mirror up. And I looked back, you couldn't even tell I came off the road there. I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> and then I go back through there later on, and I'm watching, and I realized that <clears throat> I probably wasn't off the road there. It was just at the point where I was in that kind of a curve there that it appeared as if the street sign was in the center of my hood when it was actually still on the side. So of the you swerved into it. Yeah, pretty much. When I, when I <laughs> took my side mirror off with the hitting the tree, uh, uh, like the hood of it came off. So yeah. I found that, and then the actual mirror just popped out. So there was like a portion of it that was still on. Well, so you still some, had it attached to the truck, but oh, the mirror no. was gone. The mirror gone the hood gone it was basically just like the arm like it, it was just like i don't even it was like a nub basically and i just grabbed some some camos uh duct tape put it back on there and I, it was like you couldn't angle it though so no one else could drive the truck it was just it was angled uh, yeah. for me to see basically my back left tire and that was about it i, I uh when I, we- I broke the side view mirror on my jeep that like the little swivel part where it would swivel i snapped it straight back and it just snapped, so I took it off, sanded it flat on both sides, drilled it out, and then uh, stuck a bolt in there with E6000 epoxy, and then just tightened her on up in there, called it good. I remember we were kids. Traded it in what? that way, they never knew. <laughs> were, you, were you with, I feel like you were with me and Dad. Uh, we were going somewhere with Dad. I think we were in Georgia, and he broke his side view mirror somehow and bought like a makeup mirror at a Dollar General. Yeah, and, and duct taped it to the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what mine looked like. <laughs> Just a hope. That's what <laughs> Handle sticking up in the air to this round mirror. Yeah. <laughs> that's all yeah. taped to the side of the truck, the driver's side of the truck. 
Uh, gentlemen, let's wrap this up. You guys got any closing thoughts? Yeah, man, I want to take those leg hold traps up with me to uh, to my hunt camp because my corn feeders, I was showing Briar. Trying to steal our decorations. Um, I went through three different feeders at the same time. and Got raccoons? Three, they're just being rat fucked by, mul- by packs of raccoons at this point. You'd be <laughs> you'd be far better off getting dog proof traps for raccoons. You you know what dog proof, dog proof mm-hmm. traps are? Yeah. Uh, you, this will work way better. Oh, dude, I'm thinking about just building some box traps or whatever and putting some those the, cat those, food in them. Just swing into old Ace Hardware and pick up five dog proof traps for. I'm buying traps of some kind. Yeah, and then put them. Yeah, like I said, put wet cat food in the bottom. He stick his hand on there. There you go. Yeah, I guarantee if you put five of them out around that that corn feeder in the morning, you'll have five coons kill. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know about five, but three. <laughs> it's it's terrible, man. I've been watching these coons now for a little over a month, and they're putting on weight fast. <laughs> <laughs> You should have heard him and, and uh, the other guy that's on there duck hunting with us. They're just sitting there talking about the, the raccoons eating all their corn in the feeders. Yeah. <laughs> they are, man. It's, it's been interesting watching them, too, because when they first found them, they're trying, to navigate, they're trying to navigate the legs. And you get a picture of a raccoon kind of partway, partway up. And then sometimes you get a picture of a coon dangling from the leg. And I, I, I've, I've got a couple pictures of coon, coons that are just, they're hitting the ground and, like, you know, nose is all bent out, legs above them. Like, they, you tell they've fallen off. But now, you know, they learn pretty quick. Now I've got raccoons walking up those legs out of things and pictures of them spinning the feeder and other coons underneath them. I'm like, oh. Like, I, I, you, you know they're going, I'm, I'm probably down 40 pounds of corn just to raccoons, right? Well, so, there's got to be a way you could, you could, I know you could devise a way to make the legs hot. No, they've got, you've got, they've got all kinds <laughs> of zappers and things like that. But, Jason's went and bought a, and put them on his feeder, and he's like, they're just like corn, ow, corn, ow, corn. Yeah, they don't, they don't. It's not they hot don't. enough. Yeah, exactly. It's not hot enough. I remember being a, like really young, and like we used to have uh, cats that would like we would leave the garage door cracked, mm-hmm. and so they can get in at night and like eat their eat food or whatever. And the the um, raccoons would come in, and they figured out how to unscrew the the dog food lid. So they'd unscrew it. <laughs> oh yeah! So you'd open the door, turn the light on, and then they like they would grab like they would, you'd see them reaching in, like trying to get that last handful, and they would be running off like <laughs> two legged, just just holding the food. And it was the funniest. Like honestly, I would I would love to see that again. My, my parents used to my parents used to crack the back door on the back screen door on the porch open with like the little piece that holds it. And a big old fat raccoon would come in there and bump the door, and it would close behind it, and then he'd be trapped on the back porch. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, you hear that sucker trying to get out. You'd have to get up and go outside and try and shoo it off the back porch. I remember uh, he got stuck. There was one that got on top of the weight bench that was back there at one time. It wouldn't get off. And we're standing like in one of the side doors throwing an XFL football at it, trying to knock it off of the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. We had yeah. one get in there because – our old, uh, our old dog, my mom would give it like the last bit of a, it was a rat terrier. So she would give it the last <laughs> bit of a peanut butter jar and she would stick her head in there and eat the peanut butter out of it. Well, this raccoon came in there to Dunk. get cat food and got his head stuck in the peanut butter jar and couldn't get out of the back porch because he had a peanut butter jar stuck on his head. <laughs> Dude, I built a box trap once and I caught a couple of raccoons in it. And then, uh, so those raccoons didn't get to evolve, but then. One time I went out there and the trap door is down and there's no raccoon. They figured out how to get its little paws in it and lift the door up. So then I built a mechanism to 
when when the door slid through it, it's, it was made out of coat hanger, but it would go through a little break so that if they tried to lift the door up, it would be it would stick. And um, then one day I went out there and it had, raccoon had torn the mechanism off the top of the box. I don't know if there was, one got trapped and another one tore it off or just tore it off before it walked into the box. And after that, I said that forget this. I'm just sitting out there with cat food every now and again and shooting until I eliminated my raccoon problem. <laughs> yeah, I used to hunt at the. I used to sit at the top of my driveway with the 22 in my little suburban neighborhood with cat food down at the end. And of course, I'd get possums and I get the neighbor's cat and all this other stuff. But every now and again, well, you know, there possum, he is. You should uh, look into the. Have you seen those hand traps for the raccoons? It's a dog-proof trap. That's what I was talking about. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. The way they reach in and they're so greedy, they grab yeah. the food and they won't let go of it. Yeah. Their hands stuck in there. Well, the dog-proof trap actually has a little trigger and it clamps down on the arm. Oh, okay. Same, yeah. same as a foothold trap, but it, you, a dog can't get its foot inside of it. Gotcha. But, all right. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. Van, thank you for joining us, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Adios.